You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good morning to you as you tune in to our sermon today. It's good to have you with us. If we haven't met before, maybe you're new to Hope Church, let me introduce myself. My name's Tom, and I lead the team here at Hope. I hope you're coping okay in this brave new world of lockdown. If we can be of any help to you at all, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to be able to help you, whether that's through prayer or practically. Please don't hesitate to get in touch. We're going to be working through a passage in the Bible today in the book of Luke. We've been working through a sermon series in this gospel account of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And when we were last together looking at the book of Luke, we saw that Jesus was starting to gather his team. He had been preaching on a preaching tour around the nation. He'd been healing many people. And last time around, we saw that he had called Simon, whose name he changed to Peter, and Simon's business partners, James and John, who were brothers, and he called them to follow him. And today, as we work through this passage in Luke chapter 5, we're going to see that Jesus continues this preaching tour People get healed, and he calls yet another person to join his team of disciples. So I'm going to work through this passage today. We're going to read through it. I'm going to pull some things out as we go. And then I'm going to bring out three main things from these three short stories for our encouragement. If you are not familiar with the Bible, then the Bible is made up of many different books. We have, as I've said, the the different accounts of Jesus' life. And Luke was written by a man called Luke, unsurprisingly, who was a doctor, and he had been commissioned by a Roman governor called Theophilus to form an orderly account of everything that was happening in this part of the empire, where people were claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, and many thousands of people were worshipping him as God. So this is what we are reading today. We're reading eyewitness accounts of these stories. So we're going to pick up in verse 12. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, you need to understand that this man was a social outcast. He was as much of an outsider as one could possibly be. There was not more of a a cruel disease than leprosy. It was horrendous. It was debilitating in every possible way. It was a painful skin condition, probably the severest of all afflictions. It starts with red open sores that start to spread, causing great discomfort and pain. You couldn't take a bath. It would be too painful to do that. And over time, this would cause serious nerve damage to the point where you would lose feeling in your hands and your feet. And you might start to cook something and not realize that you're actually burning your hand. Or you might knock something and not realize that one of your toes has been very badly damaged. And over many, many years, people would lose fingers and toes. It's a, it's a disease that affects everything. It's a living death, really. There was no medicine for these people. And if this was not bad enough, people considered those who had leprosy as being cursed by God because of sin in their life. Wrongly, they assumed that, but that was what they assumed. So when they needed compassion, they didn't receive it. They got only judgment, and they lived their lives as loners. No one wanted to go near a leper. They didn't want to be associated with them, and nor did they want to 
get their disease. Imagine for a moment that this is you. One day you notice this rash appearing on your arm. And over the days to come, you notice that it's spreading. And you suddenly, it dawns on you that you've got leprosy. And you suddenly start to realize that everything is now going to change. You're going to have to leave your family. If you're married, you're going to have to leave your wife, maybe your children. You're going to lose your job. You're going to have to live outside of the city so that no one else gets it. You're quarantined for life. You can't hold down a job and you now need to beg. Imagine the loneliness. Imagine the shame of it. Imagine the emotional pain. And this man is completely desperate. And so he hears that this man, Jesus, might be able to heal him. He, heals that, he hears that Jesus is a healer. And so he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he begs him. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Imagine the leper as Jesus starts to come near to him. Imagine the thrill of excitement as he thinks to himself, he's actually going to touch me. This person is actually going to touch me. This leper would not have been touched for years. And suddenly there's this excitement. He's reaching towards me. And this leprosy just melts away. This man is now not just healed, but he's now restored, renewed contact with fellow human beings. And Jesus tells him to go to the priests, as was the custom. And this would be for him an official pass back into community life. He was not just healed, he was brought into community. When you meet Jesus, when you meet the real Jesus, it's not just the case that you're, you're healed of your sin and your shame, but you're actually brought into community, a new community with him at the center. Christianity is about reconciliation. It's about being brought back together with God, where once you were estranged from God, once you were an enemy of God because of your wrongdoing and wrong thinking and wrong, wrong speaking, now through what Jesus has done, brought back into relationship with God. But it's not just about reconciliation with God, it's about reconciliation with your fellow man. God creates a new community made up of people who would have had nothing to do with each other before. A glorious community, as I say, with Jesus at the center. This man is now restored to community. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread faster than ever. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus' fame is now going to levels that he has not seen before. If you were the guy to discover the vaccine for the coronavirus, then you would suddenly be very much in demand. People would want a piece of you. They'd want every piece of information that you have. You would be getting emails coming out of your ears. There would be great crowds gathering around your lab wanting to know the secret to vaccination of the coronavirus. And in the same way, people had triggered, it, it clicked with them that Jesus could heal disease. 
And so they were suddenly gathering around him. Suddenly he was in great demand. He could have been busy all day, every day. His diary was suddenly very full indeed. It must have been exhausting for him. But what does he do? He regularly walked away from it all. He regularly walked away from it all in order to be in the quiet place with his father in prayer. Think of the good Jesus could have been doing. Think of all the people who would have had to wait that little bit longer for their healing. It doesn't seem to make sense. But listen, prayer was the bedrock of Jesus' life. The secret place in prayer was life-giving to him. There's a whole sermon in that one verse alone. And Luke does indeed focus a lot more than the other gospel writers on Jesus' prayer life. So no doubt we will spend a bit more time looking at that. But listen, right now we are allowed one piece of exercise per day. Why not make it a prayer walk? Why not make it a time to find that secret place with God? This is how your life becomes steady as you give him your cares and anxieties. This is where you get filled with vision as you pray and ask big things of him, as you learn to listen to his still small voice as he guides you. This is how you get filled with excitement about what he wants you to do for him. This is where you break the power of habitual sin as you bring your failings to him, as you confess to him and as you receive restoration and fresh power for the fight. As your devotion and your worship gets directed to him once more and not to yourself or whatever it might be that you've been directing your devotion towards. There is plenty of time for answering emails and WhatsApps. There's plenty of time to care for those that we love and who we are concerned about. But the secret place in prayer must not be neglected. If we're to know any fruitfulness in our lives, and I I believe we want to be fruitful people, then we must not neglect regular places of secrecy with Jesus. No matter how busy, no matter how in demand we might be, we must be able to say no to a good thing in order to say yes to a better thing. Jesus says, remain in me. I'll remain in you and you will bear much fruit. We must not neglect the place of secret prayer. Let's read on to see what else happens in this story. Now, one day while Jesus was teaching... Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. And then they lowered the sick man down on his mat into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Here we see yet another desperate man. But thankfully, this man has some amazing friends. And these friends are doing all they can to bring their friend to Jesus. That's our mission. If we've come to know Jesus for ourselves, there's always opportunities to introduce others to Jesus, but there'll always be obstacles in the way. For these guys, it was a a big crowd in the way. 
But for us, as we try to introduce others to Jesus, there will always be obstacles. For those we love, it might be that there's obstacles of doubt or of bitterness or of unforgiveness or of big questions or disappointments with God. Big obstacles to overcome. Let's do all we can like these guys. Let's do all we can to introduce our friends to the real Jesus. And this story is about to get insanely good. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Everyone was, was gripped with great wonder and awe. The, the word in the original language, which was Greek, is translated paradoxical. This is, this, is contra, this is contrary to anything we've ever seen before. This doesn't make sense. We've never seen anything like this before. They were left in no doubt that this man standing before them was deity. He had just forgiven someone of his sins. He had caused him to get up and walk. And what's more, he had even read the minds of the Pharisees and he knew what they were speaking about. This does not make sense unless Jesus is God. And they're gripped by this. They, they can't get over this. They can't stop talking about it. And later, as Jesus was leaving the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, he left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Three mini stories, three lives transformed. Three things I want to pull out from this. The first of which is this. Jesus reveals the character of God. How we think of God is the most foundational thing in our lives. Do we think of him as a fountain of life or do we consider him to be a miser doling out blessings with a teaspoon? Our whole life is transformed one way or the other on our answer to the question, what is God like? Jesus shows us the true answer. He says to his friends in John chapter 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he then says, from now on, you do know the Father because you've seen him. And if they were left in any doubt as to what he meant, he then says this, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus 
is loud and clear on his godness, on his deity. He is the always, exi- he's the always existing, fully divine, with no beginning, Son of God, and he perfectly represents the Father in every way. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what the creator of it all is like, don't guess, don't just try and make it up, look at Jesus. Jesus reveals a God who we can trust, a generous God, a God who is self-giving, a God who is willing to heal, a God who is willing to touch the untouchable, a God who is full of compassion. Jesus reveals to us a God who is oozing with generosity, who has time for the people that no one else has time for. And this account of the leper throwing himself at the feet of Jesus, questioning, Lord, are you willing? This account is so rich for us. It's so heartwarming for us. Jesus' response, I am willing. It should comfort us. It should comfort us greatly. It shows us that God is willing to do good to the souls of men. He's willing to bless. He's willing to transform. He's willing to forgive and embrace those who are far off. So as we're in these confusing days, as some of us are fighting for our jobs, as some of us fighting for our health, some of us concerned for the health of loved ones, do not let your thoughts of God be dictated by other things. Let them be shaped by the Bible. See Jesus with eyes of compassion for the outcast leper. See Jesus forgiving this man who had come to him through the roof. See him forgiving the woman caught in adultery. See him tender with the children. See him freeing people from their shame. See him smashed to a cross with a crown of thorns jammed into his head, struggling for breath for you and I. See the God who didn't give up on his creation. See the God who went to the furthest lengths that he could to win back those who had strayed from him. Jesus reveals a God of relentless love, a God of great mercy, a God of justice. Look to Jesus and you will see what God is like. He reveals the character of God. Secondly, Jesus reveals and deals with our greatest need. And recent times have got us thinking about what it is that we really need. What do we need? If we consider for a moment what we dream about, what we fantasize about having, we would see those things aren't necessarily needs at all. And this story of the man getting lowered through the roof to encounter Jesus, this shows us something about our greatest need. We think, I need to be right with myself. I need to be right with others. I need to have right relationships and peaceful relationships. This guy thought, I just need to be healed. I need to be able to walk and to work again. Well, Jesus doesn't start off by healing him. He could have done that straight away. He does that in other stories. He heals people right away. But he wants to take this as an opportunity to teach the crowds and indeed the Pharisees who are around him that our greatest need is to be forgiven. Above all, we need to be right with God. There is an immense accumulation of guilt before a holy God, which our our proud, self-centered behavior has piled up over the years. Maybe prior to this moment, you had considered yourself generally a good person. You might think to yourself, well, I've never sold drugs to anyone I've never cheated on my partner. I've never stolen money from anyone. 
Well, congratulations if that's you, but let me tell you, you have an immense need for forgiveness. As this story shows us, there is not a word in our mouths nor a thought in our hearts that God does not know about. He daily reads and observes our acts, our deeds, and our thoughts. And he sees the self-centeredness in us all. He sees the motives of our hearts. He perceives the evil thoughts and the conniving nature of our minds. And without that sin being decisively dealt with and forgiven, we are facing an eternity without God, a miserable eternity without him. He knows that our greatest need is to be right with him, to have our sins forgiven, to have our conscience cleansed, and to be adopted into his family to become his sons and daughters. And with whatever more obvious paralysis you or I might come to Jesus with, our real need, our deepest need, which Jesus' eye perceives, and to which his word of power is addressed, is our need to be forgiven. And it's of the utmost importance that we receive this gift of forgiveness. It's been bought for you on the cross. And to those who accept it by faith, Jesus says over you, man, your sins are forgiven. And when he speaks, it is final. When he speaks, it comes with authority. You are forgiven. There's no ifs and buts about it. You are forgiven. You are clean. When you place your faith in him and what he's done for you, by dying on the cross in your place, by rising again, he speaks over you. You are forgiven. It is finished. It is done. It is dusted. This is the great task for which Jesus came to accomplish, to make a way for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. The physical needs we have are not unimportant to Jesus. We can take them to him. But the fact remains that salvation consists not of a healthy body or of a big bank account, but in the forgiveness of sins. Let me ask you, have you received this gift by faith? All you need to do is trust in Jesus. That is it. You, didn't, you don't need to try and impress him with a fancy prayer or with good works. You don't need to try and work off to reduce your sentence. You simply need to see that Jesus has gone to the cross for you. He's died in your place and received by faith the forgiveness that he has won for you. Maybe you consider yourself too far gone. Maybe you think, I, I cannot possibly be forgiven by God. I want to encourage you as we look at Levi, and as we bring up this third thing that I want to share, which is this, Jesus changes everything. It's well known, I think, that tax collectors were not highly thought of in Jesus' day. In fact, they were the lowest of the low. Levi belonged to a group of people who were the embodiment of wickedness in Jesus' time. These guys were hated. They were hated because of their selfishness. Hated for looking after number one. They were hated more than the toilet roll hoarders. They were in cahoots with the occupying Roman forces. They were collecting taxes from already poor people and giving them to the already rich people in Rome. And what's more, they were taking some for themselves as well. And yet Jesus says to Levi, who we also know is called Matthew, he says, come on, follow me. Never despair that someone is too far away from God. 
If anyone was, it was Levi, and yet he was not too far away. Jesus called him, and the one who called Levi is the same today. He never changes. And what does Levi do? Well, he got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. That's Christianity. It's a leaving behind of the empire that we were building for ourselves. It was, it's seeing that there is something of far greater worth and living for Jesus and for his kingdom. It's a leaving behind of the reputation and the comfort that we were in pursuit of to pursue the one who is God, the one who is life, and to know him is life in all its fullness. And Levi probably made the biggest sacrifice out of all of Jesus' disciples to follow him. Peter left behind a failing business. He was a rubbish fisherman. James and John weren't much help either. Levi's leaving behind great riches and great power to follow after Jesus. It would mean for him a loss of income, a loss of comfort, a loss of reputation. But this conversion brings joy to Levi. He's found the fountain of joy and he now wants to throw a party. He wants all his mates to meet Jesus. True Christianity is one in which we all want our friends to get in on this too. Levi knows what their souls need. He was one of them. Having now seen Jesus, he knows that their souls don't need more money. They need Jesus. So he has this feast. He invites all his tax collector mates to come along. I don't expect it was a wild party with all these accountants coming together in one room. But Jesus was the life of the party. And some of Levi's mates, they just don't get it. They don't understand it at all. Why would you leave behind this profession? It's lucrative. We're making good money. We can do whatever we want. We can go on the best holidays. We can have the best parties. We can have the best food. We can have whatever woman we like. And they don't understand that Levi would leave this all behind. They looked at his temporary loss, but Levi is transfixed with his eternal gain. I remember at 16, 17, one of my good friends said to me, Tom, I think you've been brainwashed because I was suddenly passionate about Jesus. Whereas once I'd been living, going in completely another different direction. And now suddenly it was all about Jesus. They didn't understand, but I found something that is far greater than what I was running after. And finally, as this party's coming to a close, late that evening, some religious guys turn up and they complain to Jesus. Jesus, why are you hanging around with these scum, low-life tax collectors? Why are you eating and drinking with sinners? And Jesus' response is incredible. Luke, the GP, as he was taking down this uh, account from the eyewitnesses, he would have smiled as he heard it. Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Or in other words, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I don't know about you, but I'm always reluctant to go to the GP. I hold off until the very last moment. Sometimes I just don't go at all when I need to. And I have a couple of reasons for not going. First, the first reason is quite noble. I believe there's other people who, uh, who need the doctor more than me, so I'll just hold off from going. But the second reason is one of pride. I think I can beat it. I think I can deal with this. I feel like I'm young enough and fit enough to beat off whatever I might be facing. Listen, when it comes to Jesus, 
Only those who confess their spiritual sickness can really benefit from the doctor's care. Some dress their sickness up in respectability. They are no less sick. Jesus is drawn to those who give up trying to hide it. His forgiveness is for those who acknowledge that they need it. Let me urge you, if you're tuning in today, do not resist going to the doctors today. If you hear his voice today, give yourself to him. I want to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. Maybe you could pray this with me in your heart, in your mind, if you want to respond to Jesus for the first time today. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have a condition that is far worse than leprosy. I recognize that my sin is affecting every single part of me and it's causing destruction to me and it's causing destruction to those around me. And today I want to come to the doctor. Today I want to come to the one who really can deal with my condition. Today I want to come to him and receive forgiveness and cleansing from my shame. I recognize that what you did on the cross was necessary to rid me of my sin. Thank you that you rose again, securing for all who believe eternal life with you. And like Levi, today I want to give my life to you. I want to leave everything behind and follow you, Jesus. And I want all those I know to come to know you too. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that, please can I urge you to be like Levi and let people know about it. Let, let those that you love know about it. Please let us know. Get in touch with us with the contact details on the screen. We'd love to help you with your next steps, as it were, in walking with Jesus. And when this is all blown over, we'd love to welcome you to our church. We'd love to baptize you as your next step as a disciple of Jesus. If you don't live locally, please get in touch with us anyway. We'd love to tie you in with a great church nearer to you. Let me close just by praying for us all. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your healing work in our hearts. Thank you that you have reached out to us when we were untouchable, when we were uh, outcast, when we were far away from you, when we were stinking in our sin, you came to us. You came and you touched us and healed us. You reached out to us with your heart full of compassion and you won us to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that you have dealt with our greatest need, which is to be forgiven. We praise you. We worship you today. And we say, Jesus, you are our saviour. Help us today, Lord, to be like the men who carried their friend to Jesus. Help us to overcome any obstacle to bring those that we love to your feet, that they might meet you for themselves. And help us to be like Levi, who would shout about it from the rooftops, who would have great parties in order to invite his friends to come to know you. We want others to know that joy, Lord. We want others to know the joy of knowing you. We want to draw near, Lord Jesus, we want to draw near to our Father in prayer this week. We want to lay aside all of the other good things that we might give our time to, and we want to regularly find ourselves in the secret place of prayer. We want to regularly find ourselves on our knees before you, giving 
you our all, giving you our cares and our anxieties, laying before you our sin and our failure, receiving your restoration. We want to honour you in the secret place. We don't want to be those that just live for the praise of others. We don't want to be those that are so busy all of the time that we don't spend time with you. We want to be people of prayer, just like you, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray, in your mighty name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week where my friend Nick, who is on the staff team with me at Hope Church, will be continuing this series in the book of Luke. Take care and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.